Welcome back to another episode of the Matt Alexander podcast. Today I'm here with Angelica Dimitriou. What's up? How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm keeping busy and I'm really excited to get this episode completed. I think the listeners will enjoy this one. Yeah, I'm really delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me. No problem. No problem. When I first heard you wanted to come on the podcast, I was really shocked, mainly because I only had a couple of episodes completed. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I'd heard about what you were doing. I'd heard uh, a couple of episodes and I thought, what a great what a great podcast, what a great idea and concept, you know, uh, talking to entrepreneurs, creative people. And so, yeah, I just wanted to wanted to chat. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Um, also, I got to, you know, shout out to Vass because uh, he was the first person to let me know. He was. That, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I appreciate him. So, uh, yeah, are you ready to get this uh, episode started? Yeah, let's dive in. All right, all right. You're an art consultant and started your own firm a few years ago. So for the listeners, can you tell us the name of your company and what exactly an art consultant does? Yeah, so um, my company name is Kalaman and Dimitriou, which is a little bit of a mouthful as my last name, my business partner's last name, but... Everyone calls us K plus D, which is a little easier to remember. Um, and yeah, in terms of what art consultants do, uh, we wear many different hats. Um, essentially, we are fine art experts who work with art collectors and we help them buy art or we help them sell or donate art. Um, you know, we're, we'll figure out where and how to display art, either in their homes or in their offices. And if those clients need help managing their collections, you know, so for example, if an artwork needs to be framed or transported somewhere or repaired, uh, we, we will help with that too. And, um, you know, our clients, sometimes they're collecting historical art, sometimes they're collecting contemporary art. So, you know, pieces that are being made today. And so we're, we're, we're working with everything, painting, sculpture, photography, video art, all of it. So it's, uh, it's really fun work. That's really interesting because like for me, I've never really heard of that field so like like I said I'm really happy you're here and I'm pretty sure a lot of the listeners have never talked to someone in your field so yeah it's really niche uh whenever I tell people what I do they're like that's a job (laughs) I'm like yeah that's what we do (laughs) so it's it's an interesting world to be part of it's really really interesting but yet it's really important too Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. I think that's people, people underestimate the value of, of artwork sometimes. And, you know, we're talking uh, like artwork that is extremely high value, like work that you'd see passed through auction houses or in museums. And so we're, we're kind of operating at that level with collectors. It's, it's fine art, not, uh, not decorative art. So they're assets for a lot of, a lot of collectors. I'm really excited because I really want to learn more about this because I, I listen to rap music and I know, and, and one of my favorite artists is, is Jay-Z and his, and in his songs, he always talks about collecting art and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know about that. But, uh, I, I know he collects art. Uh, maybe one day we'll get to work with him. Hopefully <laughs> on our, he's on our, he's on our wish list. Yeah. So, you got to speak that into, yeah. into existence. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've read on your site, that uh, you deal with private and corporate clients. Can you explain the difference? Yeah, so so private clients are typically uh, individuals or families that collect art. 
Um, and some, you know, they're collecting at all levels. So people who are just starting out buying art. Um, but I would say a lot of our clients are probably more like high net worth individuals who've been collecting for many years. And then, you know, when we talk about corporate clients, we're, we're basically referring to companies that collect art. So, uh, most banks, for example, have really significant art collections, companies like TELUS, um, who, who people will know. Uh, the telecom company, uh, Deloitte, these are companies we work with. They have art collections. They have artwork displayed in all of their offices across the country. Um, and, you know, one other thing to note is like whether it's a, an individual collector buying art or whether it's a corporation that's collecting, sometimes, you know, they're buying work as an investment. Sometimes they're buying work because, you know, it enriches their spaces where they live, where they work. And sometimes it's a combination of both. They're buying art because they love art and, you know, there's an investment component as well. How does your company get in touch with private and corporate clients though? How, how does that work? Yeah, it's weirdly mostly word of mouth um, because the art world is, uh, I'm not going to say opaque. There's a lot more transparency, I think now, um, in more recent years, but with private collectors, like individual individual collectors, we'll be working with someone and then their friend collects and then they'll mention us and then they'll call us. And so that's sort of how that happens. And and we're also not so much these days, everyone's at home, but, but you know, pre-pandemic, we were out in the world quite a bit. We were at art events, you know, auctions, you know, fundraising dinners. We're just kind of out there in the scene, going to gallery openings. So we're building relationships and trust um, with the collectors and in, you know, our communities. And so, yeah, they were kind of top of mind when they need work done and, and corporations are a little bit different mm-hmm. that you have to sort of pitch to them. You have to reach out to them. You have to really get your name out there. Um, sometimes we'll just reach out to a director or, you know, someone sort of high up in a company and we'll say, Hey, we know you have an art collection. This is what we do. Maybe we can work together. And then, you know, sometimes they call us back and, and that's how we get introduced. Right. So mm-hmm. how, how does the pitch process work? Like, do you, do you got to go into like the office and how, how does it work? Explain that. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes usually it starts with, uh, usually an email. Um, you know, I'll say we have, marketing materials thing, but for portfolio, we can kind of share examples of what we do. Um, so we'll send things out by email or we'll, in many cases, ask for an introduction. So we'll know someone who knows someone and say, Hey, can you connect us by email? And then if there's interest, if they're like, yeah, you know, we're really interested in what you guys do. We think, you know, you might be able to help us. Then we'll schedule, um, usually like a consultation. So, um, with companies, we'll, we'll go in, we'll meet, sometimes it's the CEO, sometimes it's a few partners. Um, and it's a chance, just a chance for us to introduce ourselves, talk more about our work. Sometimes we'll get to walk around, see, you know, what their collection looks like and, uh, yeah, find out what they're looking for, what they need support with. And, and then we go from there. I have two questions related to what I just asked. Do you and your business partner go and pitch together? Actually, uh, no. Interestingly, we do not because um, she's not in Toronto. She is in uh, Halifax. She's she's based in Nova Scotia. We the company started here in Toronto, mm-hmm. um, so there was a time, you know, years ago where we would go in together. But we also oversee different things. So 
Uh, and her, you know, she's working a little more closely with the individual collectors, like the families. Right. And I'm working more with the, the corporations just based on our background and experience. So typically I'll go in and do all the corporate meetings and, um, uh, and she'll, and one of our colleagues will do, you know, go in and meet with the individual collectors, but it's also a little bit of both because it depends, you know, where we are. So for clients in Toronto, I'll go in and do that work regardless of whether they're individual or, you know, corporate, uh, and same thing. She'll go in and sometimes and meet with corporate clients in, uh, in Nova Scotia. And, and then of course we travel too. Well, pre pandemic, we used to, you know, fly to Vancouver, Calgary, Montreal, um, so, so clients all over the place. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And the second question I had was, can you recall the first time you had to prep before meeting a corporate client? Were you nervous? How were you feeling? Yeah, actually, my first time wasn't with this, with our business. I worked for an art consulting firm prior to partnering with Megan and um, just started, I mean, I had some corporate experience already. And so they were trying to build their corporate portfolio. They wanted more corporate clients. So I remember going in with the owner of that company and, and going in to meet with uh, one of a corporate client that, that they were trying to um, secure. Yeah. And uh, I was weirdly comfortable. I thought I would be nervous. I thought, you know, this is going to be weird, but I, I just felt very at home in that environment. I, okay. I don't know why well, I think it could be from my, my previous work experience. I've always kind of worked in office environments and stuff. So yeah. Um, but I think there's a lot to learn obviously, because one thing you'll discover if you're going in uh, to meet with corporate executives, they're very, it's very fast paced environments. You have, you know, 20 minutes of their time, mm-hmm. you know, you're not all, you don't get to sit down with them for two hours. You know, it's like, you've got to be really direct you've got to you know be really precise with your language right. you know you've got, got to keep their attention um so yeah there's there's things you learn as you as you the more meetings you take with uh with you know corporate executives the, the more you develop those skills oh that's really good because if it was me i think i'd get a little nervous i, I would definitely yeah. you know <laughs> yeah yeah no it is a little bit it is a little intimidating but uh, i have to say actually totally not totally off topic but now that we're doing a lot of more zoom meetings and we're like talking to people from our living rooms, that kind of stuff, it has taken a little bit of the pressure off. There's, you know, when you're in a big boardroom and, you know, an executive walks in in their suit and tie, you know, it is a little bit daunting, but you know, now early in the pandemic, you know, we'd have meetings with some of those same individuals and their kids screaming in the background, their dogs (laughs) run, you know, so you're just kind of like, we're all human. Yes. We're all, everyone's doing important work. These are, you know, busy, important people, but they're, they're human. So it just kind of like brings everybody back down to earth a little bit. (laughs) It makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. Another thing I have that uh, just came across my mind, how is it Mm -hmm. having a business partner that's not based in Toronto with you? It's interesting. It's, it, uh, it has its challenges for sure, because, um, you know, I would say like a lot of our, like a majority of our clients are in Toronto. So there's like maybe a little bit of a different pressure on me because I'm here and I'm sort of the face in the city, but, uh, you know, I think we, we make it work mm-hmm. and, um, you know, thinking about trying to like bring in clients and, and, you know, still be visible and still be present. Definitely. There were some challenges there, but I think now that 
things are shifting, right? With the pandemic happening, people are, you know, connecting more over Zoom and, and you know, there's there's not as much in-person happening. So we we're developing new tools and approaches to how to like still meet people, how to still bring in business. And so we're, we're adapting and then, yeah, we're making it work. And we actually just, you know, we, we didn't for a few years, but um, this year we, and late last year, we secured a couple of major clients out East actually. And yeah. so having her there has been great because she's, she's there. She's actually on site <laughs> with someone today. Um, so it's kind of nice to have boots on the ground. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Can you name some of the services your company provides? Yeah. So we do a lot of things uh, and we're, we're full service, but I think if, you know, if I had to like break it up into kind of two pillars, I'd say there's the art collection management side of things, um, which I'm sure we'll talk uh, a little bit about today and then art advising. And there's so many different prongs to that service. Um, so in a nutshell, we're, we're helping collectors build collections, manage their art collections, care for their art collections, and everything in between. So it's um, pretty full service. <laughs> okay, okay. I hear mm-hmm. that. I hear that. Um, so now that you have your own, what was the main reason you wanted to get your, or branch off and start your own company? I think, um, I mean, I think I'd always wanted at some point to become my own boss. Um, and, uh, I think I was at a point in my career where I felt that, I mean, we all still have lots to learn. I definitely wasn't like, Oh, I learned it all. I'm going to start my own thing. But I, I did feel that I had, uh, accumulated enough knowledge, uh, enough skills. Um, I built a great network. I had a really great like roster of experience. And I, I just, and I had the business experience too. It wasn't just, you know, um, like working in the arts and I didn't have any business acumen. I was yeah. always in business roles. So I just felt like I had a good combination of skills. And so decide, I was at a point where I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to start my own thing. I, I have a way that I like to approach work. Um, you know, I spent years helping, you know, support other people's visions and I had my own and I just wanted to kind of take the leap and with deciding to partner with Megan, um, she was, she had a small uh, cataloging business and it was going really well. And she kind of wanted to take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. And we'd known each other for years, uh, professionally and, uh, and personally. And so it was kind of like, well, I want to start my own company and I want to do this. Uh, I want to, and, and, you know, you're already doing why? So, so let's merge and then we become full service. Cause what, what she was doing and what I was doing was very complimentary. Yeah. So, uh, so and, and then the momentum, yeah, and it made sense. And then the like velocity at which we grew was just so fast. It, it kind of like both of our momentums colliding and it just exploded and, and we became like pretty successful, not overnight, but it, it, it evolved very fast. We went from a team of like a few people to like a team of 10 and uh our number of clients like doubled and it just it was great it, it just it felt like magic yeah, that's really great in, <clears throat> in your opinion do you think a person can just start a business f- without the experience or do you think experience I mean, is, is important i think experience is important because um at the end of the day well it depends what you're doing right like if if 
in our field. Yeah, that's what um, I meant to say, in your field. Yeah, in our field, I would say, you know, I couldn't run a successful art consulting business if I didn't understand, um, if I couldn't deliver the service myself. Like, yes. I have to be able to do the work myself. And then, you know, if you grow a team and then there are people, you know, bring you bring on people who have their own expertise and who contribute knowledge and, and value in different ways. Um so I don't think it should deter anyone, but I, I do think the experience is important because you're you're really learning how to um, you're building a toolbox essentially, and all yes. of those things can become really important when you're, you're you know every project, every client you work with, there's going to be a problem or a challenge sometimes that comes up. Figuring out how to navigate that, how to work with people, uh, I think that does come with with time and experience. Um, so yeah, that 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 kind of work shouldn't be discounted. But you know, people shouldn't be afraid to start something. You know, if they they everyone's going to feel like they're missing something, right? Like, oh, am I ready? I think just start somewhere, start anywhere, and then the rest the rest will follow. I agree. Mm-hmm. What are the benefits of being your own boss? There's no one telling me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I get to tell other people what to do. Uh, that's kind of amazing. Um, no, but I think. It's, it's feeling like you're, you're building something, you're doing something, you're making something that's yours. And, you know, we all, everyone works so hard and I'm, I'm a bit of a workaholic and I, and all of my jobs in the past have always given, you know, 110%. And, um, it's nice to know that the sweat and, and tears, sometimes, sometimes tears, Mm -hmm. I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it for something that I'm building. I think that's, that's really rewarding. And, um, yeah, and it comes with other things too, like accountability, responsibility, and you know, you have mouths to feed, people whose jobs and livelihoods are relying on you, you're responsible for important things. Um, you know, if something goes wrong on a project, you're accountable. There's no one to point to or blame yeah, and be like, definitely. Oh my boss my boss will take care of it, you know, it's <laughs> on you. Um that's why we have insurance. But uh yeah, it's it's no, it's good. I I like really love being my own boss. Um yeah, it's I'm glad I did it. Yeah, I had to slide that in there. I just wanted your take on that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As Vass will tell you, I'm I'm a I'm a little bit of a a bossy person generally, <laughs> so it was always meant to be. I think for me. <laughs> Does your company work with auction houses? We do. We do work with auction houses um, in Canada as well as internationally, and. Um, and the way that that works typically is, you know, if we have a client who's looking to buy art on the secondary market, so essentially art that's been owned previously, it's not, you know, just made and being sold through a gallery. Um, then, you know, if they're looking for historical paintings, masterworks, things like that, then auctions are um, kind of a great resource for that. And so we will advise them on what to buy. Sometimes we'll actually go to the auction and we'll bid on their behalf um, if they can't be there. And then similarly, if a client's looking to sell artwork, then we sometimes will consign artwork to an auction house. And then the auction house will offer it at one of their, you know, big live auctions. Those sales, you know, usually happen in spring and fall, the big ones. And then they also have online auctions throughout the year. So sometimes, um, you know, pieces will get offered online through the auction house that way. So, yeah, it's the auction world is a really fascinating part of the like art world ecosystem. And I really enjoy working, working with the auction houses. I have something to add. Don't, mm-hmm. don't laugh at me though. I, uh, I will I'll never <laughs> laugh at you. <laughs> I see in movies, like when people go to 
the auctions, right? Do you have to, do, uh-huh. do you guys raise like that little uh you know that the thing paddle? with the number? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you guys Yeah, yeah, we we do. Oh, <laughs> yeah. really? Okay. That's actually a thing. And sometimes it's it's like a a card. It's not always a paddle, but yes, it there is definitely that is a an important component. Um if you're in the room, but uh if there's also people like uh auction house um specialists who are on telephone, so people are calling in with bids at the same time. Uh, and now there's this online component as well. Sometimes people are bidding online or so there's lots, lots happening in the room and the auctioneers who are sort of leading the sale, you know, they're really fantastic at, at mm-hmm. kind of paying attention to all the moving parts um, because you'll, you'll get a telephone bid at the same time that someone's raising a paddle. Um, but yeah. And, and there, it's funny, I think, you know, my first few auctions, I think I sat on my paddle because I was just so afraid that I would accidentally <laughs> like scratch scratch my forehead and then bid on like a you know two million dollar artwork. <laughs> just like, whoops, I can't really. I have a question. Can you? Yeah. Like, if you raise your hand, can you like, and you don't want to buy the that item, can you say, "Oh my bad, I want to take that back." I think so. Actually, I won't say where this happened or when because I don't want to you know, ex- yeah, <laughs> expose yeah, yeah, anyone. Yeah, but sure. I was at a fundraising auction gala dinner and someone in the room accidentally, that happened to them, they accidentally bid on the artwork and it, he looked like he was going to faint. And and then he, you know, they came over to talk to him afterwards and he kind of left the room. I assume he didn't end up buying it and they, they worked out a, a solution, I'm sure. But um, yeah, I think, you know, I'm, there, you can get out of it, but yeah, it, it doesn't look great. And then it's unfortunate too for the artist or the work, right? Like they had the opportunity to sell it and someone accidentally bid on it and then it doesn't end up selling that night. Or, you know, sometimes the auction house will just go to whoever the previous bidder was, oh, are you still interested? You know, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's, it, there's a lot of uh, adrenaline in the room sometimes at, at those types of auctions. I have to slide a quick question in there. Yeah, of course. Can you, tell us what the price was because if he almost fainted it had to have been something crazy or you're not allowed to say no i could say um it was in the it was upwards of fifty thousand dollars let's just put it that way oh okay okay yeah it was it was significant it wasn't like you know two thousand bucks or anything like that or it was it was expensive (laughs) yeah yeah Hmm. does your company broker its own deals we do sometimes, yeah. So um, that's that's a great question because you know as we're talking about you know selling art at auction, another way that clients sometimes want to to sell artwork is privately. Um, and what that means is you know we will be the ones who go out and find a buyer, negotiate the sale, um, and and the reason for doing it that way sometimes is you know auctions uh, can often yield really high sale prices, especially when there's a lot of competitive bidding, but it is risky, right? It's volatile. There's no guarantee a work is going to sell. There's no guarantee what price you're going to get. So a private sale is a bit more of a a sure thing. People, you know, have a little more control over the process. And uh, even though at auctions, a seller can remain anonymous. um, So people don't know who's selling the work. Um, there is a little bit more anonymity with private sale because, you know, in the, the art world is kind of a, a small 
collect-ish community at times. So if a collector brings a work to auction, there might be people in the room who were like, oh, that that belongs to so-and-so, right? And they want to kind of keep it, keep it really private, keep it really confidential. So a private sale means it's, it's kind of selling behind the scenes and then no one knows that it's passing hands. Um, and that, you know, that's sometimes a good option for people, but we'll do that work with the client, right? When they come to us and they say, we want to deaccession an artwork and, or, you know, deaccessioning means remove an artwork from their collection. Right. We'll, we'll work with them and say, okay, should we donate it? Should we donate it to an institution like a museum? Should we take it to auction? Should we offer it back to the dealer? Maybe the, the dealer who sold it to you has another client who would be interested, or should we try to sell it? privately mm-hmm. and, and so we'll work through that process with them why does um a client want to remain anonymous is there like a specific reason um you know people are private like people are private i think uh, you know there's public institutions you think of the ago right the national gallery of canada they yeah. they're they're public institutions so you know they're sharing what they have in their collections with the world um but a private collector like someone like you or me who's going out and buying art or trying to, you know, sell a, a piece that we might have in our collections, we might not want everyone to know. It's very personal. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just a personal choice. And, and some collectors are really open and transparent. They'll host tours of their collections. Like, you know, there's a big art fair that happens in Toronto every October. Um, and uh, usually some private collectors will open up their homes where corporations will open up their doors and let people come in and like walk around and look at their art. Yeah. Um, so there are people who are very open and transparent that way. And then other people who, you know, they have a painting hanging above their fireplace and no one's ever going to see it. No one's ever going to know that they have it. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you're at the stage now where you can tell who drew the artwork or made the artwork? Yeah, it depends on the it depends on the the work. Um, like, and we have people on our team who specialize in different things. So, um, being able to identify objects is part of our training. So, you know, we can walk into a room and we'll be able to be like, oh, that's a so and so, or that's a so and so. So, you do get better at that. The more work you see, the more artwork you handle and encounter, the more you develop. Oh, that's awesome. That eye, yeah. And we have someone on our team who's just like a, a wizard when it comes to doing that. He's really, really terrific. His name is John. He's like our, we call him the art detective because he's. Oh wow! <laughs> he's so he, he just lay his eyes on it, and he's like, oh, it's yeah. This he'll just be like. That's that's that person or that's the sister of whatever artist. Yeah, he's 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 really great. He's got a really fantastic eye, especially for historical historical Canadian yeah. uh, painting. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, okay. I've read your company helps clients with their artwork. Can you explain how you go about doing that? Yeah, so that's the um, the collection management uh, piece that I mentioned a bit earlier. So that's yeah. you know whether again it's a like a, a collector you know, who has artwork in their home or a corporate collector that has artwork in their offices. And actually, usually in both cases also, they have storage as well. Um, That's where we kind of help them manage and care for their art. So, you know, sometimes, for example, unfortunately, artwork gets dirty or it gets damaged. And so, you know, they'll call us up and then we'll come in and kind of take a look and, and advise on some solutions. And, uh, and then we'll call in an expert, like a conservator, to repair uh, a piece to carry out the work. Um, sometimes, um, 
collectors get approached to loan artwork. So if, you know, the EGO in Toronto is doing a big exhibition and um, they might want to borrow a piece from a private collection or a corporate collection to display as part of the show. And so we'll facilitate that. We'll do all the loan paperwork. We'll kind of be the intermediary. Uh, we'll make sure that the artwork is packed and transported safely. We coordinate all of that for the client. Um, and then, you know, other things like tracking activity. Some, some collectors are really active. They're always buying art. They're always, they have multiple homes or multiple offices. Things are moving around a lot. So we'll track everything in a database. So we know where everything is at all times. Of course. Because you don't want anything to end up missing. Yeah, exactly. You don't want anything slipping through the cracks. And, and also when it comes to the art display and storage, making sure that things are being handled properly. So, um, you know, uh, like works on paper, photography, drawings, things like that. They're really sensitive to light. So, you know, we might, when a, a client buys work, we'll just, you know, help them figure out where to put it so that it's not being exposed to uh, sun damage or UV damage. Or similarly, in an office situation, you know, if they want art in a meeting room, you know, we think about how high it should be hung or where it should be hung so that if someone's rolling back in a chair, they're not bumping into a painting or, you know, sometimes in meeting rooms, they'll serve coffee and tea. We'll, we'll recommend that something be put under glass so it doesn't get splattered with. You see, I never knew any of that. Like, I just I, thought well, people just put it up yeah. on the wall and that's that. I didn't know there's like a and certain science behind it. Yeah, there is a little bit of a, an, a method to it. And because uh, I think, you know, one thing people forget is when we're talking about these fine art, we're talking about cultural objects, right? These pieces have a life of their own, a legacy of their own. You know, you're maybe not the first person who's owned the work. You certainly won't be the last. Like this yeah. piece is going to have a life beyond whoever yeah, has it right now. So our job we're kind of like art stewards. We're making sure that these pieces, while they're in someone's care and control, that they're they're being taken care of so that the value and, te- and integrity of that work mm-hmm. remains intact. That's really important to us. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. I've also read your company catalogs art collections, but I didn't get a chance to look further into it. But for the listeners and I, can you explain what that means? Yeah, so um, my business partner Megan, who I mentioned earlier, she she's been cataloging collections for years and was and was doing it before we partnered, um, and we continue to do it. That's carried through into our work now uh, at K at K plus D, and so it's still our our flagship service. And mm-hmm. cataloging essentially is us building an inventory of someone's art collection so that a client knows what they have you know, where everything is, what condition the artwork is in, what the pieces are worth, um, which is really important, whether it's for insurance purposes, or maybe they're developing a will and they're just trying to get a sense of like, what do I leave to my kids? What do I donate? You know, um, all that kind of stuff. So what we'll do is our team will go in uh, into a client's home or to their office. You know, they'll take artwork off the walls. They'll photograph it, the front, the back, any labels or markings um they'll measure the work they'll assess the condition and then all of that information gets imported into a database that we use and then we we will scan and digitize the client's paperwork if they have any paperwork like invoices anything that helps you know prove ownership um anything related to like history of ownership of a work is really important for value um and then we do fair market value research and that's where we're 
you know, going to prime, like galleries, dealers, whomever to, to get values for the pieces. And then all of that, we put, we package into this beautiful, you know, little catalog that we give to clients and, and then they have all the information available. And sometimes, um, you know, they'll like have a hard copy report, but other times we'll actually just give them a login to the database and then they can go in and look at everything and search. So it, it just gives them everything they need to know about their collection, like in one neat little package at their fingertips. So how long does a pro- a process like that take until like they get to log into the database to see the final? Yeah, it, it depends. Um, depends how big the collection is, how many pieces, you know, for a really small collection, um, you know, we, we, our team is pretty great. Like we can document artwork fairly efficiently on site. So, you know, we might be on site for a few days uh, and then the data entry process, you know, takes, you know, a few more days. And then the research process is usually, that's kind of where the time is spent, like going out and getting values and mm-hmm. things like that. So that can take several weeks. Um, so yeah, it could be anywhere from a few months or if it's a collection of like several thousand pieces, it could take, you know, seven or eight months before we, we finish a job oh, like wow. that. Yeah. And we have, we've had, you know, for corporate clients, um, who have collections, all across the country, our team, they'll fly our team from province to province, from, you know, to city to city, to each office. We did one where we did it was 21 offices across Canada. Oh, so you're wow. just like, yeah, going in. And so things like that, jobs like that can take, a, can take longer. But um, once it's all done, everyone's just like, wow, this is, you know, they don't see the behind the scenes. They don't see how much work yeah, you know, goes course. into producing those catalogs. But, For example, yeah. I, I didn't know all this, right? I'm just sitting back listening mm-hmm. to what you're saying. Yeah. And I did not know all the hard work you guys put in behind the scenes, you know? Yeah. Can you explain how you ensure your clients get fair market price for their art collections? Yeah. So in the art world, there are different types of values. Um, there's like insurance values or replacement values, for example, which is what, you know, an artwork, what it would cost to replace an artwork if it gets damaged or stolen or something like that. Um, and then there's the fair market value. So that's the market or retail price for an artwork. Um, and so if clients are buying new work, um, then those prices are typically set by the galleries or if they're buying secondary market, you know, dealers and auction houses will set those prices. But when we're providing values to a client, like in the case of cataloging, as we just talked about, um, we go to the primary sources, the dealers, the galleries um, to, to provide those, to provide those values. Sometimes we'll do that research ourselves, you know, look at the market data, see what the market is saying. Um, and then in some cases we'll call in appraisers because there are occasions where you do need a certified appraisal. Um, so if an artwork is extremely valuable, like let's just say a piece that's worth over $250,000, it might be worth getting an appraisal done. Um, or if, you know, a client wants to donate a piece to an institution for a tax receipt, usually, uh, there's an appraisal that's required for that process. Um, or if an insurance company, you know, you file a claim and they're like, mm, is it really worth that much? They'll ask an appraiser to come in and, um, and verify what, what information the collector had provided. So yeah, there's, there's a few ways to go about it, but for us, it's just always important to provide accurate 
you know, information and information that's been vetted by, you know, other experts in some cases. Of course. Mm -hmm. You've given us an overall view of what your company does. Can you give us a backstory of how you fell in love with art and what schooling you needed in order to get into the art world? Yeah, that's a, that's really a great question. Um, I think growing up, I was always interested in the arts, you know, like literature and music and film, art. Um, and I think I may have inherited that from my mom because she loves, you know, to read she loves classical music, the ballet. So I was always growing up in a household where that was always around me. So I think I developed an appreciation for it. And then my my dad, he's um, he's kind of like a, a history buff. Like I think, if I'm remembering it correctly, he said that was his favorite subject when he was in school as a okay. kid. So I think in many ways, he inspired me to become interested in stories from the past, like how those stories are told. And so I think all of that kind of culminated and and that's why like for me it's like art and literature those are like my two passions I guess and uh, so in school I studied English and art history I did a a double major um, in university and then went on to do my master's degree in art history and so from a from an education standpoint I, I kind of got my certification that way and then but in my professional life I wasn't actually working, I didn't start out in the art world. I was always working in business and communications roles. So at at the outset, um, my first few jobs, I was working at real estate and investment firms. Then I started working for an architecture firm. And then eventually I I moved into, I was working with um, a nonprofit art um, organization and and then a consultant art consulting firm. So it, it was kind of like a natural progression of things that kind of led me to this point. But, um, yeah, I think it's it was like a unique combination of having a fine art background in education, but then all the business training and experience. And then combined, I was able to sort of carve out this little place for myself in the art world. <laughs> very interesting. Very, very yeah. interesting. Yeah. One last question I have. Um, mm-hmm. do you, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I forgot. I don't want to say the name wrong. Is it Louis Blanche or something like that? Oh, Nuit Blanche. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever been to that? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, that's kind of a fun event that happens every fall. Um, uh, not this year. I think probably not much happening this year, actually. But Or last year, I should say. We're out of 2020, finally. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think it's great. I, you know, events like that, um, I think, are terrific because they, they get people excited about art. Um, and they make it accessible. And, uh, you know, it kind of gives people who maybe wouldn't ordinarily um, encounter art in their day-to-day lives, it kind of gives them um, a reason to kind of go out and explore and um, and see what's being made and, you know, explore the city. Uh, and I think, too, it's that that's kind of really fun for, you know, general public audiences. But then there's, there's so many other things, too. Like if people enjoy Nuit Blanche, there's art fairs that are happening throughout the year. You know, there's the artist project that usually happens in February. Mm-hmm. February is February. Um, you know, where emerging artists, maybe who don't have, you know, who don't have gallery representation yet, they're just kind of starting out in their careers sometimes, or um, yeah, they just don't, they're not represented. They're, they have booths and they sell art, you know, and there's, you know, art, uh, art events that happen in Nathan Phillips Square. Um, 
there's Art Toronto in October. So, and then of course galleries all across, you know, the city and stuff in Toronto. So, um, you know, if people are interested and, you know, they like going to the EGO, then there's so much more out there that, that people can do um, to experience art and to, to learn more about the artists who are making great work right now. Has there been anybody from overseas that may have contacted you that wants to work with you? Yes, actually. We, we have um, had a couple of people in Europe reach out to us and from the U.S. as well. We, right now, we're only operating in Canada. We're only serving uh, Canadian clients. Mm-hmm. Um, but And then some of our Canadian clients have homes elsewhere in the world. So sometimes, you know, our work takes us to other places but generally yeah we, we haven't worked with anyone in europe or the u.s yet but we there's interest i'm always like like someone called us from belgium and i was just like how did you <laughs> how on earth did you hear about us how did you get our names wow. so it's nice i think we're because of the work we do we're working with everyone in the art world auction houses galleries dealers you know framers conservators this whole ecosystem and and because some of our clients collect work internationally our pool has sort of increased our network has sort of grown to include uh galleries and and arts professionals around the world so i think it's exciting to see our name starting to get out there a little bit um i'd love to be able to be like oh i'm you know flying to europe next week for work like that'll you know that'll be a nice thing to be able to say hopefully in a few years um I mean, right now it'd be like, it'd be nice to leave my living room. It would be fantastic. But we all yeah, so I think, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think something to look forward to and, um, you know, going global one day would be, would be really, really cool. So we definitely have to put that in the atmosphere now that mm-hmm. as soon as COVID is, is finished, you're going to travel over to Europe and who knows, you may set up something, a business, your company out there too. Who knows? That would be amazing. That would be really exciting. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Do you have any words of wisdom or advice for an up-and-coming art consultant wanting to start their own firm just like you? Yeah, I think, you know, whether you want to be an art consultant or whether, you know, just generally, like, you have an entrepreneurial spirit and you want to you want to start something up, I think, um yeah, just be be confident, surround yourself with people who inspire you. That's why I think like this podcast is, is super great because, you. you know, you're getting to hear from people who, you know, s- stimulate your mind, who challenge you. I think that's also really important. Like you need people around you who are going to keep you motivated and, and push you. Um, and yeah, and just keep, keep focused, be disciplined. It takes a lot of hard work, like nothing. You know, I, I do believe that sometimes the universe, you know, helps nudge things along sometimes but I think you know you can't forget hard work is really key and important and yeah so just if you're really excited about something and there's something you want to do just try to build it keep meeting people keep talking to people and uh it'll happen I agree I agree before we wrap this interview up can you let the listeners know where they can find you what's your company's Instagram page and website yeah, so um, so it's uh, k plus d dot ca and and spelled phonetically. So k p l u s d dot ca would be our website, and then on Instagram it's at underscore k plus d. So um, 
yeah, you can you can learn more about us online. All right, all right. Thank you again, Angelica, for taking the time out of your busy, busy day to come on the podcast with me. I really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. It. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. And I, I think we might have to do a part two. We could do a part two, maybe a part three. Who knows? We will. There's lots to talk about. Of so, course, you know, of course. If, you're, if your listeners are interested in anything, learning more about anything, uh, yeah, I'm happy to come back. We can keep chatting. Don't worry. We got something in the works. We're not going to give it away all in part one, but just wait. Just wait and see. <laughs> all right. All right. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, I'll be hearing from you really, really soon. And, uh, yeah. All right. Terrific. All right, then. Thank you for taking the time to listen to that episode I just completed with Angelica. She shared a lot of knowledge and dropped a lot of gems. I'll be back with another episode next week. Peace. Steady working, I never get no sleep. Don't hit my line if it's not about a fee. Go get his money, chases around me. Keep up with you, won't bust it down for me. She know what I like. I write, I write. She